Welcome to Unashamed Unafraid, a show unashamed about sexual addiction recovery and unafraid of coming into Christ for healing. Where we talk about real recovery stories, answer anonymous questions with experts, and share resources that actually work. I'm your host, Steve. And I'm your co-host, James. And we are Unashamed Unafraid. Jason, excited to be out of the cage. I'm so happy to be here. James? How you doing, man? So um, the fact that you left your wallet in my car, I know. which I'm now <laughs> holding in I my know. hand, I know. makes me believe that you've got some financial problems. I might, <laughs> because I can't seem to you know, uh, keep my wallet in my pocket, apparently. Yeah, so um, meeting here with Sammy, so she's a financial coach. Um, we're doing two scholarships for three sessions with her, so we'll talk about getting into that, but unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships, but loved being with her. She talks about just her own journey, so in a second marriage, talks about a lot of financial damage that happened in the first marriage, and loved me personally, just some real raw honesty about her walk, and I think how she made the change to say, I'm going to change, and if my husband changes, he does. If he doesn't, he doesn't. So a great example of breaking codependency in my mind. I, I just love that she just seems like an awesome person. She's bright and 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 happy and exciting. Um, I, I thought this was a really fascinating episode because it just it's not our typical interviewing recovering addicts. We're talking to a financial advisor here, and it's just that's that it was fascinating how we were able to relate things. Right. Well, I mean, and she's you know fully fully admitting that she's like doesn't have it all figured out that she's not perfect, but she's on this same journey of like how do we break compulsive behavior? Whether this is in the sexual area, whether that's financial compulsive behavior, which shows up a ton in a lot of um, sexual you know in, to with our audience. So um, she owns that. Right. This is something that she wasn't perfect at and has had to learn and lean into God the whole way as well. Totally. And some really interesting discussion, um, uh, additionally in the bonus. So well worth listening to the bonus. So had some fun in the bonus content. Too. Totally had some fun in the bonus content. So invite you to listen to that. How you get to the bonus content is becoming an outsider. Outsiders are bold, accepted, and unashamed. And how you do that is by going to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. Donate any amount monthly or whatever you want to do. That helps us fund our scholarships. We are a 501c3 nonprofit, so no one here is getting paid. So if you need help, some financial coaching, we invite you to go to unashamed shamedunafraid.com slash scholarship, scholarships for therapy, warrior heart retreat, different things. So if you're in need, we would love for you to apply. And with that, we'll get with Sammy in the studio. Sammy, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing awesome. Jason? I'm here. We do let him out of the cage sometimes in front of the mic. He's been on good behavior, so you have him here with us. So um, I'm going to let you paint yourself into context as we send the intro a little bit of a different episode for us. What am I, chopped liver? Well, we just did the intro that you were talking on. I wasn't talking on the intro. Because we haven't recorded it yet. Son of a bee. You going to cut that out? so sammy paint yourself into context tell us what you do professionally okay so i am sammy bigham and i am a dave ramsey certified financial coach and i do business under the name of financial behavior solutions and uh it's fantastic i get to work with individuals and couples and my elevator pitch is that i help people overcome their problematic money behaviors that cause them a lot of personal pain and stress 
So. So it turns out that's a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. We, we know a thing or two about problematic behavior. Is that knowing laughter, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, um, I so what's the number one problem that people show up with? Let's start there. The number one problem that I see people make is not knowing where their money is going. Just just a complete lack of awareness, honestly, I think is the number one issue. And I'm a big believer that you can't solve a problem unless you're aware of it. And uh, so that's kind of the first step with most people is helping them become aware that there is an issue or if they know things aren't really working out, pinpointing what the issue is. And uh, sometimes people want to face it and sometimes they don't. Wait, we were talking about sexual addiction or financial problems? Yeah, I got, I got I confused because the it second step so is simple. trust in God. The third step is hope. The fourth step is honesty, right? That's exactly They're the all same. intertwined so much. I mean, that's why my business is called Financial Behavior Solutions, because yeah. it's the behaviors behind money. Um, a lot of people ask me if I'm like a financial planner or an advisor. And what I tell them is that a financial advisor will show you or help you uh, determine how your money behaves, but a financial coach helps you behave better with your money. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I like that. So out of all the things that you could be doing in the world, why this? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, I guess I'll start from the beginning. I actually grew up in a very artistic family. My mom was a dancer and my dad was an actor and a director and an English major. And so I grew up starring in musicals and dance recitals and voice lessons. And I actually attended Salt Lake School for the Performing Arts. I dreamed about being on Broadway. I got a full ride scholarship to the University of Utah to study musical theater. And I just realized a year into that journey that it wasn't a very supportive environment. It wasn't as, uh, let's see, uh, people weren't rooting for you to succeed as much as I thought or hoped they would be. So I decided that I didn't want to spend the rest of my life in that environment. I gave up that dream. And then I decided to get my degree in accounting. And when I told my parents that, they were pretty surprised. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of like the black sheep of the family now (laughs) to go into that type of field. So I went to Western Governors University, so that way I could uh, work on schooling from home, do it online before it was cool, you know. And uh, I got that degree because I knew I could always get a job and I was good with numbers. But in my heart, I really wanted to have a more personal relationship with people and help people one-on-one. I just didn't know what that looked like yet. And so I worked in the accounting field for a year, graduated with my degree, and then found out that Dave Ramsey does offer a financial coaching training program. And when I looked into it, I just knew that would help facilitate exactly what I wanted to do to help people. So I signed up for that and got my certifications. And that's what I've been doing for... Uh, almost a year now. So, and uh, the reason I wanted to help people with that, besides kind of my life history, uh, I'm previously married. And in my first marriage, financial issues were a big thing. 
before I got married, I didn't have any debt. I had, you know, $1,000 in my savings account, no credit cards. I was doing really well, but my husband... And how old were you when you first got married? I was 19. I turned 20 a month later, but I have to say 19 because that's how old I was. <laughs> so I was young and I didn't have a clue, honestly. $1,000 at 19, that's like yeah. a yeah, million dollars if it was my now. bank account right now. Yeah, more than <laughs> Um, and so he had a lot of debt and he told me that, but I thought it was just something that, you know, we would deal with. I didn't understand the gravity of that. I didn't understand that the bad debt was a symptom of bad money behaviors that really bled into our marriage. Uh, we were frequently living paycheck to paycheck. We would buy toys, you know, like PS4s, Nintendo Switches. Uh, he was a musician, so electric guitars. And then a few months later, we wouldn't have enough money to make ends meet. And so we'd pawn those things off or sell them online mm. just to... Put food on the table or definitely. pay the rent or whatever. Yep. And when I was in charge of the finances, I actually had read Dave Ramsey's book and was able to eliminate some of our debts. But as soon as I had my baby my first child, uh, I kind of let him take over. And I was a student full-time, so I just was busy. He was the working man, and I was at home with the kids, so I let him handle it, and things just went downhill from there. Went back to the old patterns or whatever, Absolutely, right? yeah. And so it caused a lot of strain on our marriage, and there wasn't a lot of security for me, and, I mean... Financial issues are actually the most commonly listed reason for divorce. And right. it's not surprising to me. Yeah. Well, and I would say, um, I would say the most uh, unlisted but probably accurate reason for divorce is some type of sexual betrayal, infidelity. That's uh, talking to a lot of divorced people that are like, oh, I don't know. Something like that could have been going on. It was so, I didn't know that that was there. So seems to be a correlation between those two topics. Yeah. I, I mean, I would agree. Towards the end of our marriage, there were a lot of trips that he took that, you know, he was taking them and I didn't feel like I had a say in it. And mm. I don't, I don't know if anything ever happened, but I knew when it was time to go that it was time to go. And, and our financial struggles were probably the biggest thing for me to cause that. Well, and just to kind of reiterate what Steve was saying is, I mean, we interview a lot of people who, you know, they talk about their addiction, but there's there's very often a financial component to that. And, Absolutely. And what we call financial abuse, right? Of like, well, you know, he was using the credit card a lot and lying about it. Or we just, you know, listened to Jim Alicia. That was one of the things for them, right? Like he used a credit card to, to buy a pizza and then he totally lied about it. And it was just one of those things that, you know, set her off. And so I, I think that happens a lot you know, in relationships where there's some sort of betrayal going on, there's also often a financial aspect to it. So, yeah, it's like with any, um, you know, kind of uh, unmanageable behavior, there's often lying that goes in with it. There's a degree of dishonesty or a willful unknowing, right? Not looking to your point here. They're like, mm -hmm. they just don't want to pay attention. They yeah. don't want to see it. So it's some sort of denial that's going on around. It, it often branches out from, you know, sexual misbehavior there's often a lot of things going on, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Even I mean, I had one um, story of a man that he started shoplifting. And he's like, I don't even need it. It's just like 
that I can get away with it. And, and he's like, no, like this is just compulsive. compulsive like, this is just another way. Compulsive behavior. Yeah. Like this is just another way that I'm doing, that I'm doing compulsive behavior. And, um, I, one, one of my beliefs is, uh, as our mutual friend, Dave Ramsey says, normal is broke. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would translate that, that that's the same in mental health land. And so I had a, uh, a woman, uh, once, so shout out to Jane, you know who you are. Um, say to me, one of our outsiders, she said to me once, yeah, like all these people want to get out of their marriage and cause they think the grass is greener on the other side. But when I look outside, all the grass is brown. And so, you know, I, I think there's a correlation to like people's mental health aren't well. Like if you're walking around in your neighborhood church, your friends are like, all these marriages are so healthy. And people are just so vulnerable and shame resilient and kind. Like, dude, send me an email. I want to know where your neighborhood is, right? And I love my neighborhood. Like, I love my people, but people are people, right? And we got issues. And so I think there's just such a connection um, between when when life becomes unmanageable, to your point, Jason, um, it's really hard to bucket that into. I mean, I, I stole, I share my story. I stole what I estimate to be, I don't even know the number. Talk about keeping track of things. You know, I was running my parents' apartment business thing. I stole like $10,000 to facilitate prostitution in my story. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it just is so connected. It runs deep. Well, and to talk about, I mean, no one wants to talk about their personal finances. One of my favorite, uh, statistics to share is that the majority of people would rather show you what's in their underwear drawer than show you their personal finances. And I always get a chuckle out of that. But my favorite response was a woman that I met at a conference and she said, I'd rather show you the underwear on my body than show you my personal finances. And so it really is a sensitive and touchy subject for a lot of people. And then to intertwine it with addiction and those behaviors. It's Why do you think it's such a sensitive topic? I think it I think it has to do with a lot of different things. I think it has to do with culture and the way we're raised up. A lot of money behaviors and issues have to do with the lessons we learned from our parents around money. Um, I also think that there is a fear of judgment, whether you're making too much money or too little, or you know you're not spending your money wisely and being irresponsible and... No one wants to feel, you know, the shame put on them that they perceive by sharing that. I think you just said the word that I was thinking, but I think that it's the same thing with addiction. Nobody wants to talk about it because of the shame involved. Absolutely. And that's really what it is. I don't have enough money. I don't want you to know how much I have or, you know, whatever it is. It's, it's all about that shame message. Yeah. And, and I guess I would, uh, a curiosity I would, I would have for you, and this is along the gender line question. So I know as a man, the, the scripts around money and, and the way that we do that and have that. And, um, I had a an interesting experience, um, in my, so my previous current commercial real estate, I worked around a lot of wealth. And so, um, the realized that money doesn't actually make you happy. It does create opportunities. It, d- it doesn't make you happy learning that lesson. Um, but then the other thing that was interesting to me, so, uh, I, whenever this was 2015, I was, I was looking to buy a new car. So I was looking at my budget and, um, I'm like, well, maybe I'll get like a Camry or maybe I'll get, and I have a, one of my good friends who's a cars guy. He's like, dude, if you just get a used luxury car, it's like the same price. I'm like, no, it's not. And he's like, yeah, it is. I'm like, no. (laughs) So we jump on KSL and I'm like, BMWs and Mercedes, like not expensive. 
like lose half their value in like the first three years. Oh yeah. So I um, end up getting a used older. And so now I'm coming on almost, my car's almost a decade old, um, but it is a Mercedes. And I've had the most interesting experience with that. Okay. Tell me more. Because of how much people care. Mm, Yeah. I think it's fun to drive. It's got to go out. So for me, and I was just like, hey, this or a Camry, why not? You know, kind of the same for me. But as people react to it and how people show up, both, both shame positive that some people are nicer to me. They're like, oh, it must be legit. And it's so funny to me because I'm like, this car isn't even worth $15,000 anymore, I don't think. Like, th- like, this is not like actual value. It's not there, but there's a perception of wealth. And that just like has t- hit my masculinity a ton of being like, oh, this is... We have, as men, have so much validation in, I make a lot of money or I have wealth. It's so innately in our identity. And so I think the shame around that is similar to the shame around our sexuality, like to not have a job, to be struggling financially. There's just so much shame in that as a man. And so that, I mean, I just know personally. You're not providing, but, you're not good enough. Yeah, you can't, totally. You can't make it happen. You're going to say something, Mr. James. No, I think it... Um, for when Brene Brown talks about the study and the research around, um, you know, both men and women feel shame, but where the message comes from is different, right? And the key shame message for men is don't be perceived as weak. And I think it's the, you know, I mean, you just see it everywhere, like TV or whatever, movies and, and all that. It's the guy that has the most power is the guy with the most money, mm-hmm. right? So I think it, it really can be the way for people to do the pose, right? To prove to themselves that they're good enough by making enough money. I mean, I tried that pose. I thought that would make me, you know, prove to myself that I was worth something if I made a lot of money Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. until I made a lot of money and realized I was still empty Mm -hmm. inside. So, Mm -hmm. Well, and and I just want to say, because I want to ask how it is on the other gender line here, to you, Sammy, but, um, also it gets wrapped up in our spirituality and church, right? The, a, a providence gospel and abundant, right. That I manifest that if I'm doing well financially, that's clearly a sign that I'm being righteous. And if I'm doing poorly financially, then it's clearly a sign that I'm not living right. Right. That's the thing you hear people say, Oh, he must be living right. Definitely. Cause he just bought a boat. He must be living right. He's got that Benz. He must be living right. Cause we're just like, Nope, Nope. It's it internalized. Oh yeah. Big time. Mm-hmm. So talk too much. Tell me about what all kind of all to James point, what the shame messaging is, what that kind of dialogue is for women. Um, okay. You definitely nailed it on the head for men. And I do think that there are important differences between men and women with what's important surrounding money. Um, for women, they definitely want security. They want safety financially. Um, like when I married my husband, After my divorce, I actually didn't want to join our bank accounts for a whole year because I finally had control over my financial situation. I finally, you know, had my own income and I knew where it was going and I didn't want him to have any say over it. Mm. And we were a couple, you know, we were on the same team, but I I had a hard time letting go of that control because before it had been kind of abused with my husband, my ex-husband controlling all that. So... Uh, shame. I think that, uh, a lot of women, let's see, a 
a lot of women, I don't know if this is fair to say women, because, but a well, lot Well, of- let me give you this. Speak for you, and I just have a feeling that will relate to a lot of women. Okay. I, uh, I tend to cope by shopping, and um, I actually learned that from my mother. Uh, her idea of bonding was going shopping, you know, talking about whatever's going on in our life, and we'd buy clothes, or, you know, go to the grocery store. I was always her grocery buddy. Uh, so there's this learned therapeutic, you know, dopamine hit when you purchase something. And, and maybe, maybe it's unfair to say that's just for women, but I do think that, uh, there can be some shame around that where I wouldn't tell my husband if I'd made a frivolous purchase because I didn't want him to judge me for mishandling our finances or what I felt like was my money, but it still affected us together. And so, so it's a, more about the perception of mishandling. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So with couples, I do think it's important to understand what their, the most important topics are for men and women. Um, but I also think that there are things that aren't gender stereotypical. I think it's important to recognize who's the spender and who's the saver or who's the manager and who's the free spirit. And when working with a couple, if you can identify where they're coming from, what their most important values are, then you can work together and address those things in a more effective way if you can recognize where you each stand in that way. I experienced that pretty early on in our marriage. It was established really quickly that I was the saver and my wife was the spender. And that brought some tension for a little bit until we found a way to... I guess, balance that, manage that, but it wasn't comfortable. Yeah. Take some work. And for both of us, it wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. I had to learn to not control to your point. Right. And then she also had to figure out what to, she calls it just respecting the money now. You know, she, she developed a sense of respect for, you know, the work, the money, the time that it takes to bring it in and, you know, the stress and everything else. So for her, it came down to respect. Okay. So tell me, I'm curious for you. Um, so one of the biggest things that happens with um, what I would call larger definition relational trauma, which I, I want to lean with you about your story, is um, so the buzzword we're using sexual addiction land is betrayal trauma, right? I was betrayed by my spouse, but this happens not just sexually, right? Relational trauma is I should have been able to trust Jason to set up the audio stuff. And I come down here and all the equipment's gone and he left me a note saying F you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm like, Oh man, I really <laughs> trusted him. Right. That would be audio betrayal, if you will. <laughs> and so, um, looking at, um, cause one of the topics that I always hear come up with couples is safety, and so I guess that's one of the questions I, I would ask you is can you say to my second marriage, right, being here, like, I don't want to even join the bank accounts. And so to me, that sounds like it's about safety. Yep. So for you, tell me what happened with the safety in your first marriage. So I think there are definitely levels of financial abuse. Uh, you can go all the way up to complete control of bank accounts, no access for the spouse, you know, gaslighting on where the money's going, 
you know, you don't even get enough money to buy food. You know, I I control Mm -hmm. everything. I think that is a a pretty large red flag. Um, You won't normally see that right off the bat. I think that happens progressively. Um, But I think what I experienced was probably more subtle. Um, You know, I'd ask him about if a bill was paid and he would say it was when it wasn't. And he had to find a way behind my back to pay it or ultimately come out and say, you know, we need to sell some things or I need to work a few extra hours. There were also, so like our first Christmas, I gave him an electric guitar. It was pretty expensive. It was probably the most expensive gift I ever bought for someone. And it was like a representation of my love. And within the year, he pawned it off to to pay a bill. And that broke my heart, honestly. And that happened more than once. He bought a guitar at the birth of each of our children. Like we have baby pictures of them with the guitars and those guitars are gone, you know? So what did that do in your heart space? Uh, Just totally devastated. I mean, I felt like nothing was sacred, you know? And, And then it becomes, you know, a reflection of what, my value is to him since that was a gift for me. And that also is just so damaging on a self-esteem and um, feelings of, of love between a couple and connection and safety. And yeah, memories like that are, are sad. I mean, to me, it makes sense why I was so worried about combining banks, bank accounts when I got married again. <laughs> and, uh, and just, I had a lot of, I gave my ex a lot of trust and I I do think that there was a part of me that didn't want to to know. I think I knew maybe things weren't being handled well based on his actions, but it felt too overwhelming to me to begin the process of taking it over and I think a lot of people get overwhelmed. I think mm-hmm. that's why there's a big lack of awareness with personal finances because it's just so big. And if you don't have any idea where to start, then let's just not, let's just, everything will work out. Right. Yeah. I'm getting a paycheck. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The bills are being paid. Right. (laughs) But that's what I like to address with people because I I talked to two different types of people and the first group is, uh, you know, will say, Oh, you know, that's great that you help people. I'm doing fine. You know, I, I get paid. I cover all my expenses. You know, I'm not hurting. I'm really good. And I like to ask those people, you know, what would happen if you missed your next two paychecks? Or what if there was another COVID? Mm-hmm. That really knocks some sense into a lot of people that, you know, you can be doing fine and coasting along, but if you're not prepared for what could happen, then you're just setting yourself up for financial disaster. And then there's the other half of people who do know that they need some help or things aren't working out and they just don't quite know the mechanics and how to help themselves succeed more efficiently or get on the right track. And so sometimes you got to help people find their awareness and sometimes you just got to help them make the next best decision. Yeah. So Sammy, Um, why unashamed and afraid? So when I first started financial coaching, I was really drawn to helping women who were going through divorce or had been divorced because I know exactly what that feels like. 
I know what having collectors call you because all of the debt from your marriage is in your name and you're fully responsible for it because you can't legally make someone pay for something that is in under your social security number. So uh, I know what it's like to have a car repossessed. I know what it's like to file bankruptcy because of the divorce and all of the financials being on your shoulders. And I didn't want other women to have to carry that alone. But as I've gone on, I really just want people not to experience that at all. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'd really like to help people before they get to that point. I'd really like to help couples figure things out together. And I think there's something to be said that working on your personal finances with your spouse can actually be very healing for, especially I can imagine for a couple that has been through infidelity or betrayal. I think that working on your personal finances can be a really good ground level of reestablishing trust. And Dave Ramsey recommends actually joining your bank accounts. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. It's because there is total accountability. You know, it helps with making sure there's no secrecy and being aware of what's going on. Um, It also forces communication. And I think when there is consistent communication and evidence that there's honesty, then that can help rebuild trust. And I think that's an awesome thing. That's my train of thought. (laughs) No, I love it. So um, just because it made me smile so much, um, (laughs) we, we got to go here. Okay. So, um, I get, you know, emails from people from times to times, um, might be one of my favorite emails I've gotten out of the blue from someone. So I'll just, I'll just read this first paragraph that I got from this woman named Sammy. Hi, Steven. My name's Sammy. I've been listening to your podcast quite a bit over the last two to three months, and it has been both wonderful and horrible at the same time. While it frequently brings up painful emotions for me, it equal enables me to find hope and peace in my personal life and for others. I've been incredibly grateful for the stories and insights that you have shared through this medium, even though sometimes to be completely honest, I don't like you very much. (laughs) So... Just tell us about that. Uh, I mean, sometimes you rub me the wrong way, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us about both sides. Of that. Well, I know that's true. Yeah, that's I was not, like, you get that on the regular. None of, none of us can relate at all. That's, that's not news to me. But so, tell me about the the love hate with myself, unashamed. The Give podcast, us both sides, right? The okay. podcast, all the things. So, as a woman who has been betrayed, it's very painful to revisit those feelings through someone else's story. And, you know, just uh, the empathy comes out. I feel like I'm living what others are living and it's painful, but there's always hope at the end of every episode and the light. And I think that is so wonderful. It keeps me coming back and listening to another episode and I actually see myself on both sides. I, I've been betrayed, but I also have been able to recognize through these stories that in some ways I am an addict and maybe I'm not watching pornography, but 
I am acting out sexually in ways that aren't conducive to building up my relationship with my husband. And I mean, I'm actually, I've been sober for, actually, I'm not keeping very good track, but I've been sober since I started listening to the podcast because I don't think I thought I was an addict before I listened to these stories. And then when I was able to hear how other people dealt with something and really decide what my values were, it became a lot easier to change what I was doing on a personal level. And so I can just relate to every episode, to something that's happening, whether it's some, the childhood of a, of a husband and the abuse that he went through or the pain of a wife who's been betrayed there's just something I take away from every episode and, and it's painful and it's wonderful at the same time. So that's what I was trying to convey with that email I sent you. <laughs> as you, as you conveyed well, <laughs> as you conveyed well. So the last place we want to go is, um, cause, cause we don't think sexual recovery really happens without God showing up. And in the words of one of my favorite people, Magic Mark, he says his definition of grace um, is when God and us meet. And so I know people have different views around Christ, so not any specific church, that thing, but looking. So for you, um, how has, in your first marriage, where were you at with God, right, through the betrayal and all of that? And has that changed for you as you've tried to obviously got out of that relationship, starting your new marriage, healing, like how has the relationship with God changed for you? I think that I distanced myself from God a little bit before I got married my first time. I, he and I weren't talking at all. I, I used to act out sexually with men a lot and I felt completely unworthy of love and and so it didn't make sense for me to be at church. But once I got remarried, I knew I had that testimony inside of me. I couldn't deny and uh, came back to church and became closer and closer with God. And as I grew closer to him, I watched my ex-husband detach from that. And I, I felt like I could only rely on God at that point. And once I initiated my divorce, that is probably the lowest I've ever been. Like I hit rock bottom as far as grief and pain. I never thought I would ever go through something like that, but Jesus was my rock. You know, when I hit rock bottom, he carried me and lifted me up and I no longer felt those burdens on my back. And he and I have been pretty tight ever since, honestly. I mean, sometimes, you know, I have a, a prayer with him where I'm swearing at him a little bit, but we get through it and we come back together. <laughs> I think he can handle those. Yeah. I think if anybody can handle it, it's him. Yeah. So to a woman who is in um, betrayal um, and, and this financial episode's really hitting home, um, uh, what would you tell her? Because you're in a place of unworthiness saying, I don't want to look at it. I don't want to see it not showing up to, I mean, totally transforming, right? Having the courage to say, hey, husband, change your I'm out. And you didn't want to change and so you're out. Um, and so to someone still back there in that place, um, what would you tell her? 
I would tell her that you're stronger than you think you are. And you can do hard things. And the pain is just a moment. It feels like it encompasses your whole world when you go through it. And so sometimes the temptation is to avoid it at all costs. But there's light on the other side. So with, uh, and when people come on, you've shared a lot of your personal stories. So we're, we're going to give you that piece. Um, we asked, uh, Sam, when she, when she first got here, we had some worship music <laughs> playing and, um, I was like, Hey, so you do worship music? And she said, <laughs> only since I started listening to this podcast. <laughs> Yay. We did it. We did it. We were successful. Shut it down. We won. <laughs> but, um, so do you have a favorite song when you think about your personal journey through the betrayal, financial hardship, all the other elements and kind of where you're at still kind of journeying, growing in God? You got I a song? Do. I do. If you'd asked me two months ago, I wouldn't have. But then I finally gave in, started listening to worship music, finding where my jam was at. And uh, I do have a song for you. It's called Be Loved by Judah. And I think it really represents my longing with God to feel his love for me. And uh, it's the the one song I played on repeat, you know, for a two hour long car drive. And you know, that's the song, right? (laughs) Yep. That is the song. Sammy, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. James, I acknowledge your presence (laughs) and I'm always grateful deeply in my heart for it. Thanks so much, man. Jason really needed that validation. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we're still validating. We're still. Okay, sorry. All right. Anyways, you can edit. Jason can edit him out. Jason, thank you for coming out of your cage. Um, If you wouldn't mind, get back in there and edit some episodes for us. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I'm excited. So uh, as we said at the beginning, so two scholarships that we're giving away um, to do a three session session package with Sammy. So if this is resonating with you and some coaching around your finances and getting that more in alignment, feels like that's a next step for you in recovery and in your healing. Absolutely. We invite you to go to unashamedunafraid.com slash scholarships and apply. And also if you have in the space, also feeling here that you would like to donate and create scholarships and help us do that. We are 501c3 nonprofit. All of the money that we raise goes to scholarships. Um, so you can go to unashamedunafraid.com slash donate. We invite you to follow us on social media at unashamedunafraid. And Sammy, they are finding you. You can find me at ramseycoach.com forward slash financial dash behavior dash solutions. You can find me under my business name on Instagram and Facebook. And I post there with what I'm doing. Which your business name again is? Yeah, give us the hat at at Financial Behavior Solutions. Awesome. And with that, be loved.
more Open up my stubborn gates and unlock the doors I'll let your love come in I know now 